Good morning to everybody. It's great to be here today. Let's try that again. Good morning. All right. What a blessing it is for us to be able to be together. It's wonderful to see so many who have come together to worship God this morning at this time and place. And what a blessing it is for us to be a part of that group. You know, this past Sunday, I talked about how I wanted to use this particular month, the sermons that I would be bringing, to talk about the beginning of a new year, because the beginning of a new year, we commonly think about that from the perspective of it's not just a new year, but it's a time for a kind of a new beginning. And so for whatever reason, that's kind of the mind thought, the mindset that has developed within us as a culture that new year, new beginning, new opportunity, and so people make resolutions to make all kinds of changes, to do things differently, to try to look forward and also reflecting on what's been behind them, and so that's good. So last week, we talked about how can, I, how can we be the church or the congregation of the Lord's church that God wants us to be. Yeah, I wanted to share with you when I got back from our trip over the holidays, we were gone a couple of weeks, got back, and, and I had waited for me three beautiful cards that one of our younger kids' classes had prepared for me comforting me about the loss of one of my preacher friends just a, uh, just a few weeks ago. And down in Louisiana, a fellow I had known for a long time, and I, I loved him, and had these waiting for me. You know, that's part of being the family of God, the church of, the, of, our, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Not here just when we gather on Sunday mornings and on Wednesday evenings, but also we're here for each other all the time. I uh, smiled when I got those, and I will probably put those up in my office and display them there for me to see. They're probably going to be there for years to come because that's just kind of the way I do things like that. But that's great. So we talked about how can we be the church that God wants us to be. We're family. We love each other. We pray for one another. One of our elders, North Witcher, is home with his wife. Apparently he has tested positive for COVID, but much better now, but still under quarantine. Please keep them in your prayers on an ongoing basis, along with all the others. Well, I want us to think now more from a personal perspective today. How can I come to the Lord? As Monroe read a few moments ago, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ issued an invitation to everybody. In Matthew chapter 11, beginning with verse 28, he said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, he wasn't talking about a good nap or a time to relax or a good night's sleep. He's not talking about physical rest, although that would be kind of connected on a natural way or in a natural way to the rest he was offering. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now Jesus was talking about a spiritual rest that he offers us. But now this invitation is not exclusive to a certain group of people or to a certain nationality, to a certain ethnic background, or to a certain educational class to a certain financial group, 
This is an invitation that he says is to everybody. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest for your soul, he says. And that's a rest that everybody needs. The most important, the most pressing need for every single person alive in this world is to accept our Lord's invitation to come to him. Every single one of us. Now the need is so great because all of us outside of Christ are lost in our sins. In Romans chapter 3 beginning with verse 9 the apostle Paul wrote, What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. None of us on an individual basis can forgive ourselves by ourselves in and of ourselves of our sins. We can't pay that price because we're sinners outside of Christ. Only God could take care of that and he did that by sending his son as the one time for all time perfect sacrifice to pay the price for the guilt of our sins through his death and blood shed on the cross. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So that's why the need is so great because the consequence of sin is death. We die physically because of sin, going all the way back to the garden. When God expelled the man and the woman from the garden, wherein was the tree of life with the fruit through which, if they continued to eat of it in righteousness, they could have lived forever. But sin changed everything, and so they were removed from that access to that fruit. That tree or at least one like it, is in heaven right now, we're told, when we read the descriptions of heaven in Revelation chapter 21. What a great prospect, what a great, great longing to be able to, and a great excitement to look forward to being able to partake of that, of that tree in heaven for all of eternity. The wages of sin is death. James wrote it along this line in James chapter 1, beginning with verse 14. Each one of us is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Death. Now James and also Paul in Romans 6 and verse 23, they're talking about ultimately spiritual death. And that's far worse than physical death. Probably just about every one of us have received word of somebody over the last couple of years who has died. Certainly in our lifetime, we've probably heard of a number of people who have died. I remember one lady telling me one time during one particular year, quite a number of years ago, she said, we've been to 60 funerals, I believe, or 60-some that year of friends of ours. I said, people aren't going to want to be your friends anymore. Again, I've said, year before last, I, I think I spoke in more funerals by far than I ever had in one year in my entire ministry spanning over decades. Only the very last one was related to COVID. People die all the time for all kinds of normal reasons that we experience through our physical life. The wages of sin is death. 
that separation from God, Isaiah chapter 59, is far worse than physical death. And that's the consequence of sin. We need forgiveness. Jesus came into this world, he said, to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, according to the verses we've just read, and we could read others as well, that's everybody outside of Christ, lost in our sins, lost in our sins. The Apostle Paul repeated that as he wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then he said, of whom I am chief. Is there any one of us here today who could not utter that last statement about ourselves? Of whom I am chief. Outside of Christ, all of us are guilty of sin. Now, we can be forgiven and saved only through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. John 14 and verse 6, he said that on the night of his betrayal. The next day, he would be on the cross. And he brought the gospel of salvation through which we can come to salvation in him. In Romans 1 and verse 16, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. In other words, to everybody who will come to our Lord for that forgiveness and salvation. Answer his call, his invitation. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. So the question naturally follows. How can I come to Christ? How can I come to the Lord? The Lord has invited me to come to him. How can I do that? How can I come to him? We need to understand an overriding principle that is uncompromisable. I must come to the Lord in the way that God has laid out for me to come to him for forgiveness and salvation. First, I must come to my Lord in absolute faith, believing with all my heart that he truly is the Son of God and my Lord and Savior. Jesus said in John chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him, believes in him, should not perish but have everlasting life. Now I want to read another verse in that third chapter, the very last verse, verse 36, because we need to understand what he means by believing in him. A whole lot of people will simply tell you, that's it, believe intellectually. That's all there is to it. But in that last verse, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Well, true faith, saving faith, is obedient faith. It's not just believing and saying, that's it, I've, I've, I've accepted that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. No, I must, that belief must lead me to obey him, his teachings. 
believing on the Lord Jesus Christ is essential for my salvation. When the jailer in Philippi came in after the earthquake, after he woke up, and he came and saw the prison doors open and all of the bonds of his prisoners under his watch, all those bonds were loosed. He drew his sword and was about to commit suicide because under Roman law, he would have had to have paid the penalty for every one of the escaped prisoners. And seeing all the doors open and all the bonds loosed, he figured there must have been a bunch of them got away before I got here. But Paul stopped him and said, do yourself no harm. We're all here. And so he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved, you and your household. Now then he took them and the text goes on and tells us that Paul and Silas continued to teach him about Jesus Christ. He needed to know what to believe and how to respond to that faith that was developing within him. He took them to his home and they taught him further about his Lord, about that invitation. And that very night, he and his household were baptized into Christ. Obedient faith. Obedient faith. The scriptures were written specifically that we may believe in him. John the Apostle said, I write these things to those who believe in the name of the Son of God. Who believe in the name of the Son of God. That you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. But now remember what we have learned. In verse 36 of John chapter 3, real faith, saving faith is obedient faith. We have the example of Jesus Christ along that line. The Hebrews writer said, though he were a son, yet he learned obedience through the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author or source of eternal salvation to everyone, to all who obey him. Hebrews 5, verses 8 and 9. That's real faith. But I must believe in him before I can act upon that belief in obedience. Jesus said, in fact, in John chapter 8 and verse 24, If you do not believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. Absolute faith in Christ as my Lord and Savior is essential to my coming to him in answer to that invitation. We read in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Well, what about all those people who believe in God in some shape, form, or fashion, but they don't necessarily believe in Jesus? Remember, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus said, John 14 and verse 6. So how can I come to the Lord? First, I must come in absolute faith, believing with all of my heart that he truly is God's Son and my Lord and Savior. Second, I must come to him in humble recognition that I am a sinner lost in my sins, and that I need forgiveness and salvation through him. In other words, I must come humbling myself, recognizing that I need to and I am ready to 
repent of my sins. Twice in Luke chapter 13, Jesus was using examples of people who died in violent ways. And those before him, he said, do you think they were worse than you or worse than anybody else alive at that time, at least in that area, because such happened to them? And twice, in verse 3 and verse 5, he said, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now, would a tire, a tower fall on all of them, like one group he was referring to, when the tower of Siloam fell on them? He wasn't saying that. He's saying you're going to perish. And he was using a physical example of a spiritual coming of reality if they did not repent of their sins. And that would be far worse than physical death. Repentance is a command from God. It's not an option. In Acts chapter 17 and verse 30, when Peter, or rather, rather when Paul was preaching to the intellectuals of his day, the people in Athens who would come together and they would talk about some new thing they have heard and hash it around back and forth. Paul took the opportunity there at the Areopagus or on Mars Hill to teach the gospel of Christ to them. That was a new thing to them. He said, the text tells us, he said, you know, I, I looked at your city and you've got all these different monuments, all these different altars to all these different gods, lowercase g, idols in other words, and then you've got one that is to the unknown God. And they did that to cover the basis in case they missed one. And their thought, well, we're going to cover all the bases. In case we missed one, this is to the unknown God. He said, that's the one I'm going to talk to you about. And he began to preach the gospel of Christ, preach to them about the only true God. And then in verse 30 of chapter 17, he said, truly, the times of these ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, to repent. Again, repentance is not an option. We have to turn away from our sins. What does that mean? The word repent, a change of mind that leads to a change of lifestyle, a change of behavior. And it must, it, it must be such that I make up my mind to live a life that demonstrates my repentance from my sins. As Paul wrote in Titus chapter 2, beginning with verse 11, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, that's repentance, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. And that's a lifestyle that demonstrates my repentance looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's looking toward eternity, eternal life in heaven with him. Repentance is a prerequisite to my being forgiven. When Peter and the rest of the apostles were teaching, that group on Pentecost, thousands of men gathered there about Jesus Christ. In verse 36, Peter said, Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made the same Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. You're sending him to the cross. You're calling for his crucifixion. You're standing there and, 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 and cheering as he died. That did not change the fact of who he is and what he was doing on that cross for you. He died for you. And so 
a number responded and said, what shall we do? And Peter's first word of response in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 was, repent, repent. You rejected your Savior, you've got to come to him. You disbelieved in him, you've got to believe in him. You would not follow him, you've got to follow him. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 3 and verse 19, another crowd, Peter and John there teaching them the gospel of Christ. And Peter said, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Repent and be converted so that your sins can be blotted out. I must come to my Lord in absolute faith in him as God's son and my Lord and Savior. I must come to my Lord in humble recognition that I am lost in sin and I need forgiveness and salvation through him, through the blood that he shed on the cross. Third, I must come to him confessing my faith openly in him as being God's son and my Lord and Savior. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, beginning with verse 32, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. And whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. If you'll confess me, he said, before men here on this earth, I'll confess your name before my Father in heaven. What a glorious thought that is. Glorious thought. And then in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, Paul wrote that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now my confessing my faith in Jesus as God's Son and my Lord and Savior is important for me because I am stepping up and owning him. I'm confessing him before God and before Christ. But it's also important for all of those around me in my life to know that I have taken a stand. I believe in Jesus. Now remember again what true faith, saving faith is. It's obedient faith. I have come to my Lord in open confession and faithful obedience to his teachings. How can I come to the Lord? I must come to him in absolute faith, believing in him with all of my heart as God's son, my Lord and Savior. I must come to my Lord in humble recognition that I am lost in sin and I need forgiveness and salvation through him. I must come to my Lord confessing my faith in him openly as God's Son and my Lord and Savior. And I must come to him in the way that he has prescribed, that he has instructed. I must be baptized into him. He told the apostles on the day that he ascended back into heaven to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He who does not believe shall be condemned. He who believes and is baptized obedient faith in him shall be saved. 
And baptism is key. It is central to my truly becoming a disciple or follower of my Lord. As Matthew recorded the Great Commission in Matthew 28, beginning with verse 19, Jesus told the apostles, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. In other words, all around the world. Exactly as Mark had recorded that particular thought and instruction. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age or the world. Amen. How do I become a disciple of Christ? Teach them. Make disciples of them. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's central to my becoming a true follower of Jesus Christ. And it is through, it is through baptism that I come into Christ. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 3, the Apostle Paul wrote, Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ? I'm sorry, we're baptized into his death? Getting a little ahead of myself there. As many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. How do I get into Christ? Baptized into Christ? He repeated that basic understanding in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27. But first I want to read verse 26 because it ties into what we've been talking about as to what true faith is. Saving faith. Paul wrote to the Galatian Christians, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And then he said, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. True faith is obedient faith. I must come to my Lord humbling myself to obey him, to come to him his way. And as I am baptized, the blood that he shed on the cross on my behalf so long ago is still 100% absolutely effective to cleanse me of the guilt of my sin. Again, Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 37, what shall we do? Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If I understand the meaning of that word that is translated from the Greek remission, it means to completely blot out, remove from all record as though it has never happened. Isn't that a great thought? That God remembers our past sins no more. As though they had never happened, completely removed from the record of our life. In Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, our Lord sent a man named Adonias, a Christian man, to teach Saul of Tarsus about him, about Christ. And he said to Saul, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. As I am baptized, his blood shed on the cross cleanses me of the guilt of my sins. That's obedient faith coming into Christ, becoming a true disciple or follower of him. I must come to him as he has prescribed through baptism. If you want to think of baptism as a threshold or a crossing over point, before I'm baptized into Christ, I'm outside of Christ, obviously. At baptism, I come into Christ. 
Since baptism is for the remission of my sins, before I'm baptized, I'm lost in my sins. As I'm baptized, I come up out of that watery grave. A baptism, I'm forgiven. I've been dead in my sins before I was baptized. Now I have been reborn spiritually. John 3 and verses, uh, verses 3 and 5. I've been made new spiritually. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. I'm a new creation from a spiritual perspective. The King James Version puts it very succinctly in 1 Peter 3 and verse 21. And make no mistake, the context is talking about eight souls having been saved through water in the days of Noah. And then Peter says, the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. I must come to my Lord in absolute faith believing without any doubt that he is God's son, my Lord and Savior. I must come to him in humble recognition and admitting that I'm a sinner lost in my sins and I need forgiveness and salvation through him. I must come to my Lord confessing my faith in him openly as God's son and my Lord and Savior. And I must come to my Lord in humble surrender, ready to obey him by being baptized into him for the remission of my sins. And then finally, I must come to my Lord determined to live in consistent faithfulness before him, living by his teachings always. Jesus said in Revelation 2 and verse 10, be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. And John wrote in 2 John chapter 1 and verse 9, whoever transgresses and does not abide in or live in, live by the doctrine, the teachings of Christ, does not have God. But whoever abides in, lives in, lives by the doctrine, the teaching of Christ, has both the Father and the Son. I must come ready to surrender, ready to obey ready to live a life that demonstrates my repentance and my confession of faith in Christ. I must come ready to live consistently in faithfulness to him through his teachings for the rest of my life. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. Are you ready to come to your Lord? Now, you made some, maybe you have made some resolutions like you're going to lose some weight at the beginning of this year. Maybe you've made resolution like you're going to really get fit and you're going to work out and you're going to join a gym. Maybe you've read, made some resolutions. You're going to look for a new job, a better job, better paying. Maybe you've made a resolution where you say, I'm going to be nicer to people around me. Those are all fine. But the greatest resolution that you can make at this time is for the new beginning of you in your spiritual life. Answering your Lord's invitation, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from me. For I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you shall find rest for your soul. That's the greatest resolution you can make at the beginning of this year or at any time in your life. Coming to your Lord. What reason could possibly be sufficient for your not coming to him? The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 2. He says, 
In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now, now is the day of salvation, or the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. The immediate moment. Do you need to come to your Lord? Do you need to respond to his invitation in acceptance and obedience? Now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. If you need to come, don't put it off any longer. Come to him today. We'll help you with your baptism. If you need prayers for forgiveness after having been baptized into Christ, We'll pray with you. If you need to talk with somebody privately, please see one of us after services. We're here for you. We want to help. Your Lord is extending his invitation. Come to me. Right now, come to him if you need to, as we stand and sing.